everybody. I'm Jeff, and welcome back to another episode of the Choose Awareness Podcast. A while back, I came across an article that talked about the biggest obstacles faced by future generations. And after I read it, I found myself wanting to have an actual conversation with Generation Z. And that's what you'll get to hear in this episode. It's a chat I had with my friends, Lauren, Christina, Kevin, and Clay, where I asked them to share what they consider to be the biggest challenges faced by people their age or by the entire nation at the moment. Honestly, I fully expected their responses to be similar to the article that I read. I expected them to say things like climate change, gun violence, and school shootings, student debt, things like that. But to my surprise, that is not what they said. Those things are all certainly important to them, but that's just not what they said. Instead, they shared things like fear of loss or not knowing what the future holds, the inability to sit in silence and wrestle with your own thoughts, especially during this pandemic, the lack of authentic, honest, and vulnerable conversations, and the division produced by media and politics and the apathy that results from it. I was absolutely blown away by them, by both their awareness of these types of things, but also their ability to unpack them and their thoughts on how to address them. This episode is part one of a two-part series, so be on the lookout for the second half coming in the next few weeks. And I do want to point out just one more thing. We recorded this conversation the week before Christmas, which means it was before the inauguration scheduled a few days from now. It was before the riots at the Capitol several weeks ago, and it was obviously before the Senate runoffs were officially decided here in Georgia. Regardless of your age, whether you're 25 or 65, my hope is that you'll be able to relate to some of what they have to say. You'll find something that you can take away and apply and put into practice in your own life. All right, enough of the buildup. Let's get to it. This is honestly just me asking questions, but really the goal is to elevate you for. I want to give you a platform. I want to give you the chance to share what's on your hearts and minds and what you're seeing and experiencing because people like me or other people who are older don't really know unless they have, let's say, either a a child who's your age or they're really going over the top to do some research. And I don't know, I just have this idea that millennials, Gen Xers, boomers, what have you, don't really know too much about what's going on with Gen Zers. And what better way than just to ask you guys and find out and see what you think. Uh, I feel like if you meet somebody when they're younger, so I met you all when you were younger, sometimes people can just always picture you in that same light at that same age, no matter how old you are, like 10 years from now, they will just look at you like you're that 16 year old. But the truth is, you are not kids. You're not teenagers. Kevin, you bought a house. You know, I reached out to Cassie and was going to ask Cassie to talk. And Cassie said, no, I'm getting married. My schedule is too busy. So clearly you are adults. You aren't just children, you know, and I want to give you that credence and that chance to say, no, you are adults. You have these thoughtful ideas and I want you to share them. So that's really the whole purpose of this episode. And of course, the mission of the Choose Awareness podcast is to raise awareness through the sharing of different perspectives. So that's, that's what this is all about. So first, a big thank you to you four, and we'll just jump right in. I think the first question that I mentioned was, what are the top two or three obstacles? But for anybody listening, let's just at least let you introduce yourself so they know who's talking. So let's just go around and say your name, your age, what you studied in school, or if you're still in school, what you're studying, and I don't know... Um, the last book or thing you watched on Netflix. Ready, go. Okay, I'll start. Kevin Smith. I am 24. Went to University of Georgia and got a degree in marketing. And I was just watching The Office about 30 minutes ago. I'm trying to watch it again before they take it away from us. (laughs) 
My name is Christina Chapel. I am a junior at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and I'm studying social entrepreneurship and behavioral economics. So kind of like the big categories. And I just finished up a book today called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. It was really great. My name is Clay Rigsby. I'm 20 years old. I'm a junior at the University of Georgia. I'm studying English. Um, I'd like to go to law school. That's the plan. And I just finished a book called The Remains of the Day by Kazo Ishiguro, and it was really good. Hi, my name is Lauren Pearson. I'm 23 years old. I graduated in May 2020 from the University of Georgia with a degree in public relations. And in terms of Netflix, I'm actually a Disney Plus girl. So um, <laughs> just recently with family, we watched Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas, and it was great. <laughs> I did want to mention that all of us know each other because Kim and I used to serve at a high school ministry uh, years ago at a church in Alpharetta. And throughout those years, we would go on service trips. So Kim and I have been on several trips to Costa Rica and several trips to South Africa. So we first met you all when you were in high school. You went on these service trips with us. And some of you, like Clay, I talked to you much more than I talked to the others. But that doesn't mean that I think anything less of you. I think all of you are phenomenal people. You were leaders then, and I can only imagine what you're doing and what you're capable of and what the ceiling is for you now. So that's also why I reached out to you to have this talk. And I'm really on the edge of my seat over here wanting to know, I think the way I worded it was, what are the top two or three obstacles faced by your generation or by the country that you think needs to be addressed? And I kind of worded it a little vague because I didn't know if it would be something that was literally personal to just you, or maybe it's your community, maybe it's your school, maybe it's your family, who knows, but that's the openness of the question is I really want to hear from you. So let's jump into it. Well, that's a big question. How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Can I go first? Of course. Okay, cool. So my freshman year at Carolina, I was in a class called the problems within the college admissions process. And it kind of took me on this journey of like doing a deep dive into high schoolers. And I know at my high school, there was such a huge like burden of achievement placed on the backs of every student there. And it was either like your legacy was like achieve or be forgotten at that school. And I think with seeing things like our culture is obsessed with youth achievement, like Forbes 30 under 30 and certain things like that. Like I remember a week before my 20th birthday and I was thinking to myself, Christina, you have to do something because you're about to lose your like teenage status. So I was like, if my life is a headline, I can no longer be like a teenage dropout of college who just started this business or like a teenager who just won a Grammy or the Nobel Peace Prize or like whatever it was. And it just has me thinking about like, okay, if we're not doing something like earth shattering with our lives, we feel like they're not meriting importance. And so it's like, what is assigned importance <laughs> amongst our generation today? Like if we're posting on Instagram, like what is post worthy or people are like thinking about LinkedIn or their resumes. It's like, oh, what's worthy of being mentioned on that? And I just think that is a, a huge problem in our generation today because we see these huge moments or like huge achievements or like even 
on Instagram, it's like you'll see these trips that people go on or these very like curated lives and you feel like a need to match that or outdo it if you want your life to merit importance. <laughs> and then along with that, it's like, I don't know, I've found myself even a slave to my camera roll. Um, just like living in past memories or like even just I'm like what is being documented in my life and if I'm going back only to those like big document worthy moments it's like I'm even not stretching my imagination or my memory but I'm like really closing it in and so for me that's something that just this idea of youth achievement and what's seen as important and significant in our generation has been like a very pressing issue and I think it ties into also like loneliness and anxiety and depression and so many of those mental health issues that are gripping this generation. And it's like the norm to be struggling with those things. So when you're talking about this, of this idea of needing to find your worth, this idea of not knowing if you're worthy, you know that that's a thing, but it still doesn't stop you from being stressed about it or worrying about it or fearing not having enough, not being enough to do those things. That's heavy. I think especially, you know, I'm kind of at this age now where it's a new different kind of achievement. So I totally get it. I was in a, the same high school, so I totally get it. Um, there were things in the walls that were literally like saying there were expectations that were the best at everything. And, I, you know, you don't think that's a big deal. And all of a sudden you find yourself years later and you're like, why am I putting so much pressure on myself when no one else is even putting it on myself, you know? And then when you get even, you know, past college, then it becomes on LinkedIn, like you said, it's like, okay, what job does everybody have? You know, you can literally go through, it's not like you have a high school reunion where you can go see, oh, what did everybody do? It's like, right now, I could literally Google their name and figure out exactly what they're doing. Anybody. And that's a tremendous level of pressure that no generation has ever had to go through. And when you think about that, then you have the comparison, not just of jobs, but then you go to Instagram. Oh, who's getting married? Like I said, you know, who's getting engaged? Who has children? Suddenly now I have friends who are having children and it's a whole new pressure, especially as a woman, because for a lot of girls who like are single and when I was single, you know, you just see these over and over again, and especially in quarantine right now when people are extremely alone, it just facilitates, you know, this, this feeling. And then even more so though, I think, you know, when we do have those victories, we want to post them. Cause like, I have something to prove. I finally have something post-worthy and someone needs to know about it or else it's not important. Or really the question is, am I important if someone doesn't know about it? And I think at the end of the day, what we believe about ourselves and the silence is more important than anything. When there's no voice, no podcast, no image, no Instagram defining us, what do we believe about ourselves? And I think that's the question that our generation is trying to answer, but is struggling so hard with. Yeah, I think kind of in the similar vein of those two things, I just feel like a lot of pressure is put on people our age to just have things figured out. And I know that's a really kind of blanket statement, but um, I know personally, like when I got to college, the biggest thing was is kind of people older than me just kind of expected that, you know, like you'll figure things out. And a lot of that expectation kind of reflected personally. It's like, oh, well, why haven't I figured stuff out yet? Or you know, how long is it going to take to figure out? And then that kind of has a negative self-worth reflection of, I haven't figured this out. I don't know what to do. And my personal example, I guess, is like, I like had no idea what was going on socially in my freshman year of college. And I just kind of thought, 
well, look at everybody else. They've just figured out how this next phase of life is. And I'm stuck in between these two worlds, like this high school life that I had and then now this new college life that's being put in front of me. And I see, saw everybody making this like kind of flawless, or at least how it looked, you know, in life and on Instagram and all that, this flawless transition. And I just had no idea what was happening or what to do. And I was like, well, why haven't I figured this out yet? And just dealt with a lot of self-worth issues in that regard. And I think it applies for a lot of things, you know, whether it is social things happening kind of in our world and in our country. And every day, like living with people our age is that people look to young people like us to kind of, okay, what what's the answer to this you know like what are the solutions and we have like so many brilliant minds our age that do have solutions and that do have ideas and that have been given the gift to be able to speak on it but i think there are just so many people our age that don't know and are still trying to figure things out just this expectation of I I keep saying it, but why haven't you figured it out yet? And it's sort of like, well, I I wish I could, but, you know. Wow. This is the exact reason why I wanted to have this conversation. And I hope that people will listen because I'm looking at my notes and I already want to throw them out the window because let's say what I may have anticipated is climate change, student debt, gun violence, healthcare. And I'm sure those are all things that are important to you. And we can talk about all those things, but we've just spent the first, I don't know, five or 10 minutes talking about self-worth and the anxiety and the pressure and the everything that comes with your job, figuring it out. Like you said, Clay, when you go to college and that's just heavy, that's hard. Kevin, does any of that resonate with you or? Yeah, I was actually about to to jump in and I mean, just kind of piggybacking off what everyone said. I think And there's almost no way around this, but I feel like it starts in high school because, you know, you got to pick your college that you want to go to. You got to pick your major or your intended major. And so most people grow up like with their parents telling them, you know, college is the path, like there's no other option. Um, And then so you go through high school and Jeff, I'm sure you saw this with all the small groups you've overseen. Everyone's probably frantic at the end of senior year. Like, did I make the right choice? Have I picked the right school? Have I, you know, wanted to study? the right thing and you know if you don't catch that yourself in the first two years of college you're kind of on a track you know if you're wanting to graduate in four years you're on a track now and you can't change that path and then that's the rest of your life so I think it going off the idea that there's just so much pressure on us and then you know I'm sure a lot of people our age have regret but you know once you're 25 it just feels like maybe you can't change that and I mean I know tons of people that have changed their careers, you know, later in life. So it is doable. It's just daunting for sure. And this is kind of a side note, but I think, and definitely not related to me because like I I went through college, I did the four-year path, all that. But I think there's a a problem now with parents talking up college so much that, you know, there's an issue right now in the trade industry. Like, you know, there's not enough people filling those jobs and there are lines out the door to get into college. So it's just shifting where the focus is as a country, as a generation, you know, what jobs are being looked at as important. And I mean, I think we've all seen in the year of 2020, like the top paying jobs or the, you know, the glamorous jobs aren't what's necessary to keep us going. 
So I, I kind of went on a tangent there, but that's just all kind of stemmed from the whole self-worth conversation. I mean, I remember us all talking about that and I can't imagine like you, you've all been saying when you're 16 and there's pressure on what school are you going to, what major back to Clay, you were saying, figure it out or Christina, you were saying, have a plan. That means you need to know where you will be when you're 25 so that you know where to be when you're 18 to get there. I think one of the things that is so sad to me is that Gen Z's childhood is almost being like cut short, you could say. It's almost like everything is accelerated or expedited. And so it's like, yeah, you need to figure out who you're going to be, what you're going to do super early on. And like even in high school, freshman year, sometimes you're faced with pathways where you have to choose like the healthcare pathway or the marketing pathway or all of these things. And in some ways, even education policy, as far as my, my understanding goes, is like shifting to get more students into early college so that they can graduate faster, get jobs faster, and all these things. It's just like, that is really heartbreaking to me that almost this, it's the figure it out mentality instead of a self-discovery mentality and like having it framed that way. But then again, there's also, I feel like so much privilege there <laughs> in regards to like, oh, I don't need to figure it out right now. I can discover, I can make mistakes, I can like pivot and be okay. But it's just really, it's interesting. So it's like the early college pathway for some students is so helpful to help like start earning an income and things like that. And then it's like, the scholarship that I'm a part of at Carolina, it's all about self-discovery. It's all about taking left turns and like having a life of left turns and being able to like change. But it's like, there's a lot of privilege there. And I think this summer, especially as just like had me confront that. Wow. Did everybody else have self-worth as their top two or three things or did anybody else have anything else? I mean, anxiety was tied to that. That was definitely something wow. that up there um, was like the next thing. Identity and anxiety, I think they're the two biggest issues. I think people don't really know who they are. And then they look to Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn and try to figure out who they are. And then when they see who they're not, then their anxiety kicks in. And so it's just all tied together. And, you know, it's all these pressures. But I, I do agree, Christina, and that I think I almost was pressured more in high school than I was in college. And that's really weird concept but I mean yes it was pressure in college but in high school it was like oh hey look like yeah pathways do this do this do this and you know what major and all this stuff and I don't know and then when you get out of it I'm like you know why did why did we pressure ourselves so much it's actually not that scary even out you know I mean there's a lot of uncertainty about like not knowing what's next you know when you get out but at the end of the day it's like we're okay like I graduated in a pandemic and I lived and we have job. It's okay. It's, and that's just a huge blessing, you know, but I think there's just so much uncertainty and we steep ourselves and focus so much on that uncertainty of what's coming in the future. It's like an obsession with it because we see people on Instagram who are already ahead of us and we're like, oh, I want that future. I'm going to work to get that future. And then we stress and we get anxious when we don't have it. And then all of a sudden, one day we wake up and we're like, what was all that for? Like, there was beautiful life happening in the in-between. And I've really been, I think, discovering in this time of quarantine, just the gift 
of being in the moment and being in the present and just being grateful and not looking because now I'm not in college and I don't have that like you know I'm doing stuff but I'm not like oh my gosh what's 10 years from now it's like this is today and I'm okay with that and that's the best thing I think I've learned in quarantine and I wish I had known that earlier in my life to be quite frank that makes me think of Clay do you remember when you were in high school and you had this dilemma of literally which school for a long time you were stressed and now if you could go back and tell 18 year old Clay was it worth that stress? Is there really that big of a difference? Or do you feel like you would regret even if you would have picked a different school other than UGA? Would it have been okay? Yeah. And two years ago isn't even all that long ago, you know, but it's just, I've grown so much and life has changed so much and perspectives have kind of enlarged so much. That's an awful way to say that, but um, I've just been like, it's, it's fine, you know, like you're gonna end up somewhere and you're gonna you're gonna be fine, you know? I can't fathom why that was so stressful, why I put so much unnecessary, like artificial stress on myself that didn't even exist. And it was all just so many different factors. It was like lifting weights and just like adding more on that I didn't need to put on, you know? Yeah, I think the idea would be like, you make it, what you can wherever you end up so you know if you had picked a different school i'm sure you would feel the exact same way now you know if if i had picked a different job i'm sure i would still feel you know oh i'm glad to have a job like have a salary all that whatever and you know you might not make the same friend group but you're going to make a friend group so it's just i mean everybody's been saying it you know it's a stress that just doesn't do any good you know because your general situation will be the same but the specifics might be different but you know you're still gonna get through life I feel like in like the most connected place in history that we've ever been, at least for me, I know, in those big decision moments of, you know, where am I going to go to school? There's such a fear of like loss and losing what you had or what you thought you had. I know I struggled with that. And again, like it, this is the most connected humanity has ever been, but just this fear of what am I leaving behind? you know, in choosing this versus not, when in reality, you're not leaving anything behind. But it's this big just cultural mindset of transitioning into the next phase of life that for me, I misinterpreted as you're just like leaving this all behind when that wasn't, couldn't have been further from the truth, honestly. It's just chapter two, literally just chapter two. And hopefully a 20 chapter book are so many more chapters still to come, but it's hard to, to see it when you're in it. Christina, what was, you had self-worth, but what was the other one? So youth achievement. And also I think something that Lauren said <laughs> with the silence, who are you in the silence? The majority of people that I know do not allow there to be much silence in their life because that really scares them. Like people like cry when they're silent or they think like they need something to feel that and like numb that moment almost. But the thing that I had listed was engaging in conversations. And I'm talking about normal, like face-to-face -face conversations. Like it was very common in my school to walk into class on the last day of school and know maybe like three or four names of students in that classroom. Like people don't talk to each other anymore. And so, like I'm talking every day 
oh, you're ordering a latte at Starbucks, like you can talk to the barista, that sort of just human connection piece. But then also, I feel like people in our generation like do not feel equipped to engage in conversations, especially ones like these where it's talking about either politically charged issues or things that you hear and you're like, oh, I don't, I don't know like how I stand on that or I don't feel ready or prepared or like what if I say something. And so really just like this whole broad umbrella of conversations, I think is something that our generation struggles with so much. <laughs> well, I hear you when you say talking to the barista, but I don't think you're only talking about face-to-face. You're just talking about being able to have honest, deep, vulnerable humble conversations just as a human as a person let's look into each other and and just say it's hard sometimes or here's what i'm going through but that ties into the anxiety or the identity like it's all snowballing at the close of the senior year at high school i was a part of this like movement social movement in my school called whisper that encouraged students to have better conversations with each other to combat social isolation And it was so special because you got to see students come alive in a sense and like actually start to care about each other. But one of the things that I said, is like so many of our conversations start and end with five words. It's just, how are you? And I'm good. And so it's like, how do you, you know, but how do you become vulnerable enough to not just say I'm good to how are you? Or how do you like, ask a different question like what's been the best part of your day I just think that 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 basic human connection knowledge is not like really widespread in our generation especially as it becomes more and more comfortable to just stare at our phones like look down at our phones for comfort in situations that we find uncomfortable I've seen things that are just staggering about how mental health is at crisis level because of this pandemic. And in some ways, people feel like they're missing out with that interaction with the barista, but we can still have conversations like this, you know, remotely where we're still engaging and having deep conversations. But you're totally right that people don't want that. It's vulnerable or it's uncomfortable. So I've known a few people that when they couldn't keep going, because literally, like you were saying, Kevin, things shut down, businesses are shut down, they can't work, they can't go places, that they're, they're literally stuck with their thoughts, but they don't know what to do with those thoughts. They don't want to be alone with those thoughts, because then I have to unpack them, or then I have to accept them, or then I have to admit to things. And so that is just a wrecking ball for some people. And that scares me, because you have to be able to talk about it with somebody with someone? Who do you go to? Who are your safe people that instead of waiting for them to ask, how are you? You can just say, hey, yo, I need something. I'm struggling right now. Like I had a friend who said um, he had a friend who passed away and he learned something from that friend. He always wanted to know how you were doing, not what you're doing. Because I feel like the people I know, whenever you ask them how you're doing, the first thing they'll say is, oh, work is hard or oh, this week has been busy. No, no, that's what you're doing. I want to know how you're doing. Are you okay? What's on your heart? What's on your mind? I feel like a lot of that too is having these problems, these mental health roadblocks that we've all had. And there's this fear of admitting it to yourself that 
there's something happening and there's something wrong. And there's a lot of like pride in that too of, I know I felt this a lot going into college is that like with loneliness, I'm not lonely. Like I've never been lonely before, you know, what this is feeling, it's not loneliness. It's me in the process of figuring it out and like, I'll figure it out. But until I get there, I'm in this weird mental state, but it's not being lonely. And then I just had to have a moment where I'm like, no, cut that out. You know, I, I am so lonely, you know, and you just have to, it's so like, it still hurt and it didn't instantly fix things, but just admitting that you are vulnerable to these things and admitting that they have like affected you and that you are hurting because of that, you know, those are really powerful, like first steps I feel. And again, it's not, you know, it's not going to instantly fix everything. And in fact, it probably won't. It'll just make you more aware to what you're actually feeling instead of you just like spinning webs of different excuses for yourself, trying to convince yourself that you're feeling a way that you really aren't that you're too afraid to admit to yourself. I think for our generation, we've, I never really thought about this until I read it on Facebook or Twitter or something like that, but we've seen so much in our lives. You know, we grew up during the uh, war in the Middle East and we've lived through, you know, the recession of 2008 that lasted for, you know, what, four years, maybe six years. And now we've got the pandemic, which is very recent, but we've just, we've seen so much all crammed into the short lifespan that we've had that maybe, I wonder what you guys think. Maybe when we think we have a problem, we know somebody else has a bigger problem or the world has bigger problems. So we almost feel like it's not worth mentioning. Like, you know, oh, I feel lonely, but okay, someone's going to come back and say, well, people are dying or, you know, people are starving. The economy is crashing. You know, so it's like, why should I tell somebody I'm lonely? Even if you know it's like a, a, a realistic issue. So it's almost like we're, and I think Clay, you said it, you know, we're too proud to say anything. It's almost like we're, I guess it all goes back to self-worth too. We're trying to compare like how bad is this personal thing we're going through. Even to us, it may be the worst thing, but to somebody else, it might be so minuscule that we don't feel like it's worth bringing up. I think that makes it hard to share things with other people because you don't know how they'll perceive you after saying what you want to say, or, you know, they're going to come back and almost try to one-up you. Because I feel like that's also another thing, like whether it's accomplishments or going through something tough, I feel like our generation tries to one-up each other. Oh, I scored 12 points in the game. Well, I scored 22. Or, you know, oh, I, I had a cold this weekend. Oh, well, I had the flu. That's a really dumb example. But you just, you always try to one-up someone and, and uh, go through more than other people. I don't really know why that is, but I, I feel like that's something our generation does. I think that the three roots that I always come back to with a lot of these issues is pride, fear, and shame. I think that these are a lot of the masters that we kind of listen to without really realizing it. You know, we're prideful in the sense that we don't want to have hard conversations because we tell ourselves, well, I already know that and I'm good. I, I already know what I believe. I don't need to talk to somebody else who's going to change my mind. I already know. It's like, and it just paralyzes you. It just blinds you. And then fear as well fear of actually revealing the needs that we have and when we don't want to say what we don't know you know when there are hard topics to talk about that we aren't really educated about or maybe feel like we don't know enough we're just going to say nothing and we're afraid of what people will say or judge us if we say the wrong thing and so then we just choose not to engage at all and you know i think just fear of acknowledging need is also rooted in pride because we're like oh no no i'm fine i'm good i don't need anything because you're afraid if, if i admit need 
then, oh, then I'm going to have to deal with a third root, which is shame. You know, are people going to look at me differently when I actually say the thing that I'm afraid to say? Or, and then am I going to be living in shame? Shame is something that silences us and it is rooted in fear and it's all tied to pride as well. You know, these are the three things that, you know, this analogy I always go back to um, is that pride and shame are a pendulum. Okay. Think about it like a house. On one side, the house is fully put together, right? It's fully put together and it looks great. And you're working really hard and you're just doing it all and you have all this pride and you know, it's, it's perfect. Then one day, all of a sudden, those few things that you work so hard to make perfect, they start to kind of fall. And you're like, whoa, how, no, 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 I can't have that. And there's fear. And then all of a sudden you're like, I can't let people see who I am inside. That's too much for them. And because it's hiding the shame, fear is rooted, rooted in hiding the shame. And then all of a sudden you're picking up the pieces and it just all comes apart. And that's when you really feel like you need to just be ashamed and hide it. And then you close your doors and then you don't tell anybody about your needs. And then all of a sudden you blow up at people and they're like, well, where'd that come from? And you're like, Ooh, maybe like six months of like unshared hatred of myself, you know? And we, we deal with these things, but we just don't talk about it. And so these are the three things that I really always come back to and I have to kind of catch in myself and remind that this just isn't, we're not designed to be mastered by those three emotions, even if the world wants us to be. And for anybody out there listening, these are 20 and 23 year olds talking about these things. That just blows my mind. I don't think you guys get enough credit or the respect that you deserve to be aware already of these things. And these are major things that, like you're all saying, if you don't combat them now, they're only going to grow. They're just going to not just be monsters under their closet or under the bed. They're going to erupt and take over. And man, Kevin, you were mentioning the war in Iraq and the Great Recession and the pandemic as well, but I mean, yeah, that's, that's a really right. recent thing. So it's just... The pandemic. And I have heard it said that Gen Z has been a generation framed and plagued by tragedy. So you didn't even mention uh, Sandy Hook. You didn't mention Dylan Roof. You didn't mention the country festival at Las Vegas, you know, or even things like a Trayvon Martin or a Ferguson. I mean, these are all major things at pivotal moments in your life that not just adults were focused on. These were meaningful things to you, you know, that and those are just the big things that make the news. There's a million other little things, even if they happen to one individual or one of your friends. It's just constant. That's tough. Ken, what were your what were your top two or three things? What were you gonna say? Uh, well, I kind of went chuckles. bigger. <laughs> I chuckle because I, I feel a little cheesy with what I wrote. I went bigger picture. There are definitely issues, but compared to what we've been talking about, I just feel like it's way out there. But so I mean, one, I, I said and there's kind of a couple like sub bullets, but I said the national debt. And so I'm a numbers guy. So, you know, I like to look at numbers. Granted, I know nothing about how we're allocating our money as a country, but I just know, I, I feel like we're obviously spending too much and we're spending it in the wrong places. So it needs to be reallocated. There's nothing that people our age can really do other than vote and, you know, run as, as soon as you can, you know, run for office. But also another thing that's like a caveat to that is you can't necessarily just cut spending because that's going to, you know, thwart the growth of the nation. And then who are we indebted to? So, you know, I feel like nobody really knows that. We just know what the national debt is. We know that we are in debt, but what does that really mean? So, you know, I honestly have no idea. We're borrowing from somebody who is that. 
Um, and, and so what position does that put us in? And then kind of the last like financial point I had to that was, I certainly think about, and I, I think I think about it because I hear about it from my dad a lot, but social security, you know, if he's talking about it, then I feel like I have to be worried about it. So, you know, in 40 years, what's retirement going to look like for the 20 year olds? That's one of those things I'm like, almost worried to bring up or talk about in front of other people because there are bigger issues than wondering, you know, how much money am I going to have? But you can't live without money. So you got to know that you have a life after work, you know, after 65 or whatever. Hopefully it'll still be 65 by that point. Um, and then the second thing I wrote, um, which I think we've seen a lot the last four years, eight years, is divisiveness of the media. I think, you know, we we all want peace or, you know, we hope that everybody wants peace, but it's just so hard when you've got two groups pitted against each other all the time. And it doesn't seem like any, at least as far as I've seen, there's no like truly bipartisan media that's trying to show both sides and trying to bring everyone together. It's always about how much can we drag the other person through the mud? You know, what can we dig up on them? What kind of negativity can we highlight? So it's just, it's frustrating. I don't really pay attention to any news and I know that's probably not the best thing to do you know at this age and in this environment but I just I'm kind of tired of seeing it from both sides like like all of it I, I just kind of I stay away from it because I, it's almost hard to know what's true now like I'll hear something and I'm just like do I even want to listen like take it with a grain of salt what they're saying is it might be true but they're really stretching it or you know they're not sharing everything it's a cliche, but you know, they're puppeteers and we're just listening to what they have to say and what they've chosen to tell us. So that was a little bit of a rant, but <laughs> I'll, I'll stop there. So true. I feel like our generation, I, I had that as my third. It's like, what is truth? And literally I know people retreat, <laughs> like instead of trying to investigate Oh, what is truth? And I don't even know where to go, what resources to look at in order to like get to the bottom of issues and things, because I know that it's inevitable. Everybody has bias. And even when you're like giving news, like news has bias, but it takes so much time and effort to investigate that it seems like tiresome to me and I'm like dang let me just go like stare out my window and look at the birds chirping or do I want to be like taking hours of my life like picking apart this and questioning everything and then also have that questioning bleed over into other areas of my life <laughs> yeah that that is huge yeah Christina that's super interesting that you mentioned that because you have like the two sides where you do investigate and you do figure out things you put forth that extra effort and then there's this other side that i will be the first to admit to you i'm so guilty of is that's so hard it that barrier to entry of real information fosters this culture of apathy towards what's happening it makes you feel i don't know what's happening and nobody's gonna give me just the real the real truth on what's happening so why should I care? It's just a ton of really opinionated things being said and it makes you just want to like tap out of the whole thing. And then I feel like it's the same, I'll just use media outlets as an example, media outlets that are just delivering the most one-sided, it might be too one way of saying it, but just something in that regard. It 
it's these same media outlets that say, well, you know, you need to have everything figured out or, you know, I keep coming back to that, but it, it's no, it's, it's, it's okay to be unsure and it's okay to not have everything sorted and to not know where you stand on something. And it's easy to let apathy kind of like seep into that, which is probably not good. And again, I'm very guilty of, but it's these unintended side effects of such polarization. And uh, something that I put in mind was, and I don't think I worded it very, just political stratification, which I think could be kind of narrowed down a lot more, but it's this concept of everything is so on one end or the other that there's no space in between to question and to learn from others and to converse. And it just creates this, I'm tapping out, you know, like I, I don't want anything to do with this, which is, it can be dangerous, you know, and that's not, we don't want people that just don't care about anything, but it's this culture of apathy that is a side effect of this intense, just our side versus theirs. I think it cycles through too, because you've got that apathy and you've got all those people who've tapped out from either side, which then just leaves the very strong, staunch people on either side. And they're definitely not going to have a conversation with each other because no matter who says what, the other side is like, you're completely wrong. I'm not even going to listen to you like my way or the highway. And it's just cycled and more and more apathy comes out of that. So it's almost like, this is really philosophical and this might not even make sense, but it's almost like, you know, this two party system, we have, you know, both sides going against each other, causing apathy. It's almost like it's killing itself because everyone's just like, I don't want to be any party. Can't we just be, <laughs> but it's just so difficult because one or the other is still going to have power at some point or in some place somewhere. So. Clay, you said it's okay not to know, but I feel like these days you cannot go into conversations with people being just curious or like wanting to hear their side. I do not feel safe to engage in conversations at Carolina and not have a stance on something. And it's hard because I also like, I want to speak boldly. I want to be able to discern and listen to somebody else and like actually hear what they have to say. But it's so hard. Like <laughs> you're not, you're not allowed to question these days or like people will jump on it or it's like, I'm afraid even to align myself with certain things like, Oh, here's how I stand. And then to like boldly stand on that, because I think that I will lose like a massive amount of my friends or acquaintances. I will just be like cut out of their life. I will literally be unfollowed on Instagram. And I'm like, I'm going to see you tomorrow or the next day at our normal things. But it's like, because you disagree with me, like I don't feel comfortable standing boldly in my own beliefs because it's like, I'm going to lose all of these people and like any footing I have in their life, any voice, any light, it's like, that's going to be ripped out from under me as soon as I align myself with like one political issue or something like that, especially in like this past year. The way I see this play out in real life, your example, Kevin, of like the national debt of $20 trillion. Like, first off, that number is unfathomable to people, you might as well literally say it's a gajillion dollars and it means the same thing. You know, 
but obviously finances 101 if you spend more than you make it's only going to go up so we must do something but even just to start there people say well how do you know what the actual debt is this kind of gets me to this um what is truth people start arguing or maybe a better example is covid deaths if we say 300,000 people have died from covid-19 I feel inevitably someone will say, well, that's not 300,000. Some of them were flu. Some of them were other things. They could have been false death certificates. You know, who, who's to say? And immediately, instead of going one level further and saying, okay, well, then how many do you think? But you can't have that conversation. That's where the apathy I see from people kicks in. And then everybody taps out because we can't agree on one specific number or one thing. And so the conversation, that's what I see. It, it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, I feel like you're almost persecuted for having different views. And so that creates clusters of, you know, I feel like we've all probably seen it on our college campuses. You know, you have groups and let's say nowadays they're generally formed around very like social uh, issues or social aspects, which is great for that, um, that problem or that cause because it, it gets a lot of people together. But one person approaches them and even just questions it to learn it, not so much to challenge them, but just to learn from them. It's almost like, oh, you're not an expert on this or you don't understand it yet. Or if you're questioning to learn, they might think you're questioning the challenge. Then it's just an automatic shutout. And it's like, we can't have you around. And so just it harbors hate, I guess, against those movements. And that's obviously not beneficial to what this country needs and you know what our generation needs, what any generation needs. I feel like a really big problem that maybe it's just been rolling around in my head for a long time is that and I'll just keep going on like the politics train, I guess, is that our political two-party system has become such a package deal, sort of, to where you can't, at least it feels like you can't. You say, I want to align with this, but there's this other facet that I don't know how I feel or I'm questionable on it or just like straight up, I don't agree with it. And in this stratification of our political systems it's like okay like you want to be involved with us on this side and that's great that you support this but because you don't support this other thing that we have collectively agreed on like it's almost like we don't want you here you know like go somewhere else but then it's like well where else is there to go because the other side is just the exact same thing but on the opposite end of all the other issues which you know you don't want to be on or you maybe don't want to be on or maybe you do but there's just this no in-between space. It's you're either a hundred percent in or like get out sort of. And that it's a really big barrier of entry to young people that have diverse views on things where we have a big combination, a big mix of different stances and opinions and convictions on things. But because of the way our just system has worked where it's opposite ends of each other, it's, kind of take it all with it. At least that's just how I feel. Maybe it's not. And maybe it's this culture of everything being up on your phone, two inches in front of your face that you see it and you're like, okay, this is how it is. When in reality, maybe it's not that way. It's just what you're seeing all the time. But that's kind of how I feel. It makes me want to ask, did any of your parents ever talk to you about voting and we can talk about politics, but I'm curious specifically about voting because Kim and I were talking and she said she remembers specifically her mom took her to go vote the first time she could go vote. But my parents, no one 
ever said anything to me about voting, but you think of the typical important parental conversations like sex and drugs and college and driving and, but voting is a big deal, but it sounds like it's one of those things that you just have to, like you keep using the phrase, figure it out and you'll, you'll get there. Or did any of your parents ever talk to you about the importance of staying informed or being involved? Or maybe did they talk to you about politics in general? But I'm really curious about the vote. And is voting important to you? My parents, as far as I can remember, never really had a talk about voting. I mean, there were, you know, political talks in the house, not so much that it was a talk that I was involved in. It was just, you know, I heard what was being said kind of stuff. And I think this is uh, another issue that I'll hit on real quick. Before anybody gets out of their house and, you know, goes to college, they're just so used to hearing, you know, what their parents say. And that's kind of what they grow up believing, like, this is what should be done. Like, this is how, uh, you know, this is what should be voted for, stuff like that. So I think on that note, college is a really good place. And post-college is just a great time for the younger generation to really figure out what they want and what they want to vote for and what they want their voice to say. But uh, in terms of voting, I voted in my first um, election when I was a freshman. So I was already in college. It wasn't like something I was like gearing up with my parents to go do all together. So it was just very much like, well, like, I think I know who I want to vote for. Let me just figure out where to go do it, make sure I'm registered and walk down the street and vote, you know, at the firehouse. It was kind of an uneventful day for me. It was just like, oh, I just voted for the first time and it was a presidential election on top of that. Okay. <laughs> like, it was just not as exciting as I thought it'd be. But no, there was really no like teaching moment or moments leading up to how to vote, how to research to vote, because it's just expected that this is who you should vote for. And I feel like you don't really learn that you should do your research and you should check the other side until you run into other people who have differing perspectives in your life, because then you start to hear their side of it. And you're like, well, no, like I do hear things there. I agree with, you know, maybe not all of it, but there's a mix there. So now it's like, now what do I do? So it's like Clay was saying, it's like, you want both sides, you want to cherry pick and you can't. I love that you touch on the research because Christina, that's what you were saying. You don't even know how to do the research. You don't know where is this truth.com. I mean, that is a website, I guess, but that's going to be what anti-drug campaign. Don't do that. I mean, <laughs> what do y'all think? What do y'all say? Did your parents talk to you about voting or is that something you just had to figure out or maybe you're not big into voting? What would you say? My parents, they always voted, and um, I guess they always made known the importance of voting and, like, the privilege that it is that we're able to vote. But I never had, like, the sit-down, like, this is, this is why voting is so important kind of talk. And especially as I've gotten older to the age where I'm able to vote, I've kind of run into this conundrum that oh, this is hard, you know, it's, it's hard to make a decision sometimes, especially in a culture where, and I guess this kind of harkens back to what we were talking about, we see so many people that are so confident in, I'm going to vote for this person, and I'm going to vote for this person, and then you're like, whoa, like, I don't know how I feel about either of them, you know, and like, what if I don't like either of them, and um, this is just kind of a very like, personal thing is I've always, I've heard the phrase when it comes to voting, like the lesser of two evils, like a lot in the past four-ish years, probably, um, since I've been kind of like in the political conversation. And I always hear people say, well, you know, like, if you don't like either of them, you got to pick the lesser of two evils. And I've always 
had a difficult time kind of filtering through that phrase because maybe this is a naive and ignorant and uninformed and flippant like way to think about it but you know and evil's kind of a strong word and i wouldn't pin that on like any political thing that we vote for but um evil is still an evil that i'm picking just because it's less evil than something else you know like why am i still picking it sort of in in what situation in life is it not an appropriate response to say I don't like either of these. So like, I'm not going to choose, you know? That's something I've struggled a lot with that I'm working through right now that I worked through however many weeks ago. Um, the big election was just, you know, figuring out, is that right? Is that not right? Where are the weaknesses in this? Like, where am I, where is this coming from in my head? I'm I'm having the time of my life right now. You guys are blowing my mind and I'm so thankful that you're doing this. So thank you. Of course. No, um, it's interesting. I think about voting in my household and it's always been very encouraged. And, and I think there's something my dad told me once that's really stuck with me. He said, you know, America has this incredible ability and opportunity to literally say whatever we want with the freedom of speech, right? Not many countries have that beautiful ability to literally, you can say whatever you want. And I took communication law in the spring and it is very legal to say literally the worst things ever a lot of times, right? And it's like, we have this like, ability for the better or worse to like, you know, go at each other and be mad and be angry and disagree. But there's this beautiful moment my dad always talks about and it's when you go into the voting booth and you're in line and everybody's orderly. Everybody is just going in and you're exercising your right to vote. And it's an incredible thing. And I think we forget, you know, that's such a privilege in this country, like to disagree. I think it's a, it is a privilege to, privilege to disagree because that means that we have the ability to voice our opinions and not automatically be silenced or automatically this. Now, I think our culture has changed a little bit in the sense that there's cancel culture that exists. And, you know, I have the same thing, Christina, like if I say certain things, I know like, I might lose followers or people I've already dealt with that, you know, like people being upset about really small things, you know, and it, I've even saw on Instagram once somebody said, you know, normally politics don't get between me and my friends, but if somebody doesn't, you know, agree with me, like, I don't think I could be your friend. And I saw that on Instagram and I was like, that's what we've gotten to, like, you know, and so I, I always have to go, like, focus my mind again to this picture my dad shows me, like, we're gonna fight, we're gonna disagree, but that's because we're human and we're broken, and so when you're human and you're broken, you're gonna disagree, and so then, but then you get into the polls, and you make your decision, and you make your choice, and then you, you get to rest at that point, it's over, you've done your job, and my, I have a policy for myself that if I don't have the opportunity, or if I'm not in leadership to make a change about a particular issue, I can have opinions, but I'm not going to let it like rob me of sleep at night. Because if I'm not in a position to change something, like personally, that's anxiety, that's fear, that's all this stuff that like, all it does is winds me up. And in reality, like, I should be focusing on loving the people in front of me. Because I've seen people come in, I have friends who've come in heavy, anxious, like, upset. I'm like, oh my god, are you okay? Like, what happened? What happened? Like, family member, boyfriend, whatever, what happened? Like. I saw what happened online about this political thing, like this tiny political thing. And I was like, what? Like, okay, yes, but this shouldn't ruin your whole day. Like it's an aspect of our world, but if we make it everything, if we listen to the media, which, okay, media does 
I have mixed feelings on that, right? It is a business. They're trying to sell hype, right? I'm, I'm in public relations, so I know a lot about media and marketing. Um, specifically, you know, having how do you write a press release that, you know, caters to a specific uh, media outlet? I remember learning that in college and being appalled. I'm like, wait, what do you mean I had to write a press release catered to a political leaning? I'm like, I thought this, I just took a class last week about journalism being objective and fair. Like I'm in the journalism school, I taught about this. Why isn't it, you know, why isn't it that way in real life? And so, you know, you have these kind of like cognitive dissonance in a sense of, you know, like how do I find that truth and listen? And I don't know, it, for me, it just all goes back to focusing on the fact that we can't let the divisions and the disagreements of this country disrupt our ability to see somebody as a human right in front of us in that moment. Like they're a human, they're a person. I mean, we started out this conversation talking about self-worth and anxiety because at the end of the day, when there's all this stuff going on in media, that's what we return to. Like we're still, if we're not doing something from a working heart, we're not like, we can't work hard as people. We can't really function if we don't have that place. This is another thing in anything in elections, and this is like my, my most important thing in elections or anything political, is that if you are trying to stand for love and for truth and equality and all of those things, if you are doing so in a way that is not valuing the person in front of you as equal and you're not loving the person in front of you, if you're speaking about equality and love in a way that is not loving, that is not standing for love. That is standing for division and pride and arrogance. And that is not constructive. That is actually destructive. And so that's the thing about these conversations. You, you can't come at it like you know everything. If you come at it like you know everything, you're never gonna listen to the person in front of you. And it's not a constructive conversation. It's just two people yelling at each other, stubborn and not actually listening. And there's no progress. And so that's why cancel culture is so toxic because you just have to listen. And that comes from valuing the human being in front of you. I feel like voting is talked about a ton in my house, a ton in my house. Like, I don't even, I can't remember. You're like, oh yeah, parents sit down and have these conversations about sex and drugs and alcohol and all these things. I'm like, voting's talked about more than all of those things like combined in my house, literally. I think my parents both asked me so many times, what's my plan? What's your register? Like, let's figure this out. I was out of state in North Carolina and things. And so it was just like, oh my gosh, I, I was stressed every time they asked me because they asked me so much. And I was like, okay, everybody calm down. I'm going to vote. Um, but I think it was interesting, like almost pushing back against my parents and being like, listen, you're, you're trying to get me to vote, but you don't even know if I'm going to vote the way that you would want me to vote. Like I'm actually going to like do some deep investigation hours of looking at things that is going to try to like push my own biases in the ways that I've grown up and then take in like a broader fuller picture and be like okay here's ultimately what I want to endorse here is like either my deal breakers or not and it is weird to be like okay my vote is my voice and you're like dang it feels like I'm having to cut my voice off in a way by just voting for one side or one person. And you're like, dang, I don't know. I like, I wrestled with this so much in the past election where it feels wrong to like confine to like one bubble 
on this voting sheet. But then I've just been confronted with this idea of what are you making ultimate in your life? And if politics is ultimate for you, and if, I don't know, if you're a Christian, if you love Jesus and politics is ultimate for you, then like, uh, red flag. <laughs> so yeah, voting, voting is like a privilege, but it's also like kind of stressful for me in my house because we talk about it so often. And I like push back against my parents. I even like play devil's advocate, even if I do like really pretty much agree with them. One thing that's always bothered me is that, and I never really saw the like reasoning behind it other than convenience is the success rate of incumbents solely due to the fact that they're incumbent. And when I was in high school, like in our government class, I learned it was like 90% of incumbents or an incumbent will win 90% of the time, something like that because their name is there it says incumbent you know they even write it on the ballot so you know oh you know i've been happy the last two years and i'm not even talking about presidential things you know smaller federal elections you know for senators or house of reps or even smaller state and local elections it's just like well you know i haven't been unhappy the last two years might as well just keep it the same but that keeps people from researching and really knowing could it be better on the other side like i don't i don't know because i didn't do the research and so an example that like I think is really sticking out now if people are like, you know, really involved in the Georgia politics, which kind of the whole country is right now looking at Georgia with the whole issue of incumbency, like Kelly Leffler was a Senator for less than a year and her name, and I'm getting really specific with names now. Like I feel like Doug Collins was known more and I know the, the Collins family. So that's why I'm able to like pull on this. Cause I know the, like, I've just paid attention to that. Cause I know them from school his name was known more than Kelly Leffler, I feel like, because she, you know, just kind of popped up at midnight, I feel like on the day of the appointment. And then she was the one to go off to the runoffs rather than Doug Collins, who, you know, so that took me by surprise. And this isn't like a partisan thing I'm talking about, you know, I'm not picking a side here. I'm just saying like, the fact that she made it to the runoff only because she was the incumbent, I feel like that was why. And, and people in Georgia were just like, oh, you know, she's our senator, let's choose her. And I mean, frankly, I know nothing about her or, you know, I'll be honest, I haven't done enough research for this January election. So I use that example as a, an explanation for the, the whole incumbency issue. And so, I mean, I don't know, maybe that brings up term limits. I don't know. Uh, you know, that's obviously a big thing right now and has been for the past couple of years. So, yeah, I don't know. That's just a, another thought I had in terms of voting. I mean, you've all touched on this idea of how to determine truth. And Lauren, I love when you were talking about media companies' objectives is some would hope it to be to provide news, to provide you the truth, to tell you what's going on. But the reality is they are a business, which means they need ad revenue, which means they need returning customers, just like Publix, just like Walmart, just like what have you. So there is always a slant or reason for them to say something to get you to return. So that's why it is on us, all of us, to figure out or help each other find out how do we get to the truth or how do we dig through it, sift through it? How do we consume from enough avenues? But then like you've all said, we get overwhelmed, we get apathetic. And I hate that it's just, it's just so hard when really we just want to know the truth. Sometimes there are objective things. Can you just literally tell me what happened? Not your opinion of what happened, not your possible explanation of what happened. Just tell me what happened. So that was the first half of my honest conversation with Generation Z. What did you think? 
I don't know about you, but I know these things were not even on my radar when I was in my early 20s, much less did I have the ability to actually try and address some of them. And honestly, most of them, if not all of them, are things that affect way more than just teenagers and people in their early 20s. These are major issues that affect people of all ages, and they have the ability to rule over us if we're not careful. Be on the lookout for the second half of the conversation where they shared their experiences and reactions to injustices we all witnessed in 2020 and the increased momentum with social justice movements and even what it looks like to truly be a follower of Jesus in the world and time that we live in. Also, if you like this episode or you want to hear more conversations like this, be sure to subscribe to the podcast channel so you don't miss any in the future. And don't forget to follow at Choose to Be Aware on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Well, that about does it for this episode. Until next time, I hope you'll continue to join me in making the conscious decision to choose to be aware.